You're listening to Revenge of the Marks. fans welcome in settle down kick your shoes off and welcome to the latest edition of revenge of the marks i am dane campbell i'll be flying solo this evening damian black will not be joining me unfortunately he was not able to make it for this here episode however we hope to have him back in the near future but in the meantime I'll be breaking this bad boy down all by my lonesome, but that's all right. I think I can handle myself. Now, first of all, it's been a little while since we've done a show, so thank you for your patience, and uh, thanks for waiting around for some new content. There's been a lot going on for both Damien and I. Uh, on a personal note, uh, he started a new job that basically, uh, you know, was a sun up to sundown Monday through Friday kind of deal. So it's been tough for him to find time to watch the shows and, uh, you know, make time to actually sit down and record one of these episodes. And for me personally, uh, I work a job that, you know, kind of has crazy hours as well. And on top of that, we're trying to plan a wedding on top of all of that. So needless to say, a lot of turmoil, a lot of turbulence, Good stuff, but definitely making life fuller and a little more difficult to not only sit down and watch and keep up with all the product that's out there, as well as uh, you know make the time to actually write notes and sit down and blab on and record one of these things, let alone edit, produce, and post it up. There's a lot that goes into making a podcast, and uh, well, hoping to get back on the train and at least put out a show for every major event maybe every four to six weeks if nothing else so uh we will be continuing the show in some capacity however uh you know the weekly format has been kind of ditched because realistically it was going to be very difficult for us to uh continue on in that capacity so with that being said uh we hope you enjoy today's episode Uh, We're going to be breaking down WWE Extreme Rules, which as of this recording was about five days ago, and uh, there's some definitely some stuff to talk about there, Uh, the good, the bad, and what could potentially spell out our our SummerSlam card, which of course SummerSlam being the second biggest show of the year, a lot of people were looking forward to that and kind of looking to see what the main event picture is going to look like etc etc so we're going to cover all of that stuff on today's show we're also going to be talking impact wrestling new japan we got it all for you uh jam-packed show so let's go ahead and get going but before we do i do want to remind you to go ahead and follow us on twitter we are at revenge pod at facebook.com slash revenge pod and uh you know we are on youtube as well we try to get the uh the previous episodes posted up there and uh you know hopefully have some new 
and fresh content for you in the near future. So go ahead and head over to YouTube, search Revenge of the Marks, and uh, hit subscribe there as well. So we'll do our best to uh, keep up with that stuff and keep pumping out some new and exciting, fresh wrestling content for you to enjoy. So now that we got the plugs out of the way, let's talk about WWE Extreme Rules 2018. It was it went down at uh, well in Pittsburgh at the PPG Paints Arena, I believe is the name of the venue there. But um, we uh, man, what can we say? We had 12 matches between the pre-show and the main card, uh, and one of those being a 30-minute Iron Man match. So needless to say, a lot of these went down in 10 minutes or less. A lot of short matches. We really even had a, what you what I would call a non-match on the card as well. We'll get to that in due time. Of course, being uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Jeff Hardy for the United States Championship. Now, I will say this to start with. I didn't watch the pre-show, so I can't really comment on those two matches. We had Andrade Almas uh, beating Sin Cara in seven minutes. And Sanity going over the New Day in a tables match. That one went down in about eight minutes. So, didn't see either of those matches, but... Uh, I mean, how good of a match can you really have in less than 10 minutes? I know that, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do with that kind of kind of time on your hands. So it was what it was there. But, um, yeah, so there's that. But I did tune in. I saw the entire main card. So I'll give you my thoughts on all, I guess, 10 of those matches. So, yeah, our opener was the B team, Bo, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel defeating Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt for the Tag Team Championships over on Raw. And uh, I know a lot of people were kind of calling this and hoping for the B-Team to pull it out. I personally, I guess because of the old reverse momentum, was expecting Matt and Bray to retain here. So that was a little bit of a surprise. But the match was okay. Uh, it went down in about eight minutes. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't anything that uh, is going to set the world on fire, but I'm happy that the B team is getting a little push because both uh, Bo and Curtis have, you know, gone through a lot of incarnations and kind of gimmick changes and they've finally found something that works for them and they've gotten over and, uh, you know, they may be a comedy team. I don't know how long this run is going to last for them, but good for them. They got a little moment to shine and uh, we teased a little bit of friction between Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt. So hopefully, uh, well, we'll see where that goes. We may end up leading to a split between those two and possibly reigniting the feud there. But I kind of, if they're going to go that route, you know, I think that, um, you know, Bray needs to stay babyface for a little while. He's done the heel thing. I feel like he's done just about all he can do there. And uh, I think that, you know, he's kind of been a little bit reinvigorated since he started teaming with Matt and uh, and found that babyface stride. So I kind of don't want to see that team split just yet. Maybe they come back and, you know, become two-time champs. I'd almost rather see that than to go the predictable route of the team split and feud. But I don't know. It feels like Bray is a character that they kind of struggle with uh, booking-wise, making him look strong and, you know, because obviously with the supernatural elements of his gimmick, you know, you kind of, there, there's, 
I don't know, man. It's like it's it's tough to book that way in the current era of WWE and keeps keep him strong and make him look good, you know. But if he's a babyface, that's a little easier to do because if he's gonna do the spooky Bray Wyatt shit, then at least you know the heels can sell for him and and make him scary and make him look like a badass. So anyway, yeah. Hopefully Bray stays babyface and. uh and hopefully Matt and Bray continue on as a team because I think they're doing some good work and they seem like they're both enjoying themselves. So uh, hopefully this is not the end for them. But I didn't see Raw, didn't really hear about the fallout from the uh, miscommunication at Extreme Rules. So uh, I guess that situation will shake itself out in due time. So the next match on the card was Finn Balor and Baron Corbin. That one went 8 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, Finn won that one with the small package, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, a lot of these matches are just kind of, eh, you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. Uh, you know, they didn't have a lot of time to go out there and tell too much of a story, but you know, Finn and Baron, they they had a pretty a pretty okay match. the The story in this one was that. You know, Baron spent the whole match just basically manhandling Finn and getting the upper hand from a physical standpoint, having the advantages of being much bigger and stronger. But then, you know, he uh, he got overly cocky and, and Finn caught a surprise win on him. You know, personally, I feel like Finn Balor has definitely fallen down a few pegs since he came up to the main roster. Obviously, coming off of that universal title win and then the injury and ever since he's come back it's kind of felt like they haven't had the same confidence in him to uh get back up to the top of the mountain so to speak they definitely booked him or at least uh this match was structured in a way that made him look like a major underdog and he got his ass handed to him for most of the match by baron corbin who you know hasn't been at the top of the heap either you know, he's definitely had some ebbs and flows to his career. So it kind of felt like this should have been a little bit more of an even match. Even though Finn is much smaller from a, you know, an accomplishment standpoint. He's done more than Corbin has. And, you know, he's definitely got a huge fan following. It just feels like he should be, you know, doing a little bit more than getting his ass kicked by Baron Corbin. Even though he did win the match. So, anyway, that's just my opinion on that. Take it for what it's worth. Finn is... You know he's a smaller guy compared to a lot of the the main event talent, but uh, but you know he's that's never stopped you know the underdogs in the past from from getting over, and I think Finn definitely is uh, is very popular and deserving of of a top spot, even though some people seem to think that you know he couldn't go toe to toe with Brock Lesnar or you know someone of that caliber, but. So anyway, he he walks away with the win in this match. It was all right. Um, he uh, hopefully will see Finn continue on the upswing and uh, maybe get back up to getting a rematch for that title that he never lost. But we'll see how it goes. So the next match was Carmella beating Asuka uh, for the women's title, retaining in a match where James Ellsworth was suspended above the ring in a shark cage. Look. This match went about 5 minutes and 25 seconds, and it was not good at all. And uh, I don't know. There's just not a lot of chemistry there between those two. 
Um, Carmella, man, I, I've really been rooting for her because she has come a long way since she started uh, in the ring and, you know, as a character. She definitely fell flat as a babyface when she first debuted on the main roster, but ever since she went heel, she kind of uh, found her groove as a character, and then, of course, the James Ellsworth package uh, was working really well, but uh, I don't know, man. Ever since she won this belt, it's just been, I don't know if it's booking or if it's her or a combination of both, but it's just not working. I mean, she's just not... There's just, I don't know, I, I, they brought back Ellsworth because clearly something was missing there, but I don't know that it's there. I don't know that the appeal is there. I don't think, I don't see her as champion because, I mean, the match, the performances have been, they've been all right, but the, the character is very obnoxious and over the top, and I get that it's designed to be that way, but sometimes it's just too much, and... Uh, you know, she has what some people would call go-away heat, you know, in my opinion, uh, a lot of the time. But, you know, of course, a lot of people would love to see Asuka featured in a better role here or at least, you know, put out there with somebody that she could have a great match with because that's what Asuka is there for. I mean, that's that's her bread and butter is she's, gonna, she's a great worker and she goes out and has kick-ass matches. But she's not going to be able to do that in this situation. Obviously, it was much more of a of a Gaga style match and uh well yeah it just it just fell flat so hopefully from here you know we'll see Carmella go on to work with somebody that uh you know can can get a better match out of her and maybe we'll see Asuka featured against another good worker you know like a Becky Lynch or or someone of that caliber and they can have some great matches together and it'll be better for everybody but so far, Carmella's run as women's champ, eh, you know, trying to be cautiously optimistic in the beginning, but just not my cup of tea. But maybe uh, maybe people out there disagree. So the next match on the card is Shinsuke Nakamura beating Jeff Hardy in six seconds for the WWE United States Championship. Uh, the story there, Nakamura scoring the low blow before the bell rings. And uh, then need a face, one, two, three, new United States champion. And, of course, the story after the match, Randy Orton making his return and uh, surprisingly attacking Jeff Hardy and seemingly going heel. So uh, a lot to break down there. First of all, glad to see that Nakamura is kind of bouncing back. After losing the program with AJ Styles, now he's holding gold for the first time on the main roster in WWE. So that's a good thing for him. And, uh, you know, interested to see where this Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton thing goes because, man, Orton's one of those guys. He's got all the tools and, you know, he's a legend. Obviously, his resume speaks for itself, but, you know, he can get stale really quickly, especially as a face. He definitely does better as a heel so you know glad to see that he's back on that side of the fence and uh you know he and hardy have had really good matches in the past so you know i think that there's some potential there for good stuff um you know i was kind of surprised to see the match basically be a non-match but i guess it makes sense because they obviously had to cut even more time even though a lot of these matches were short I mean, this pay-per-view went close to four hours, so which is 
pretty long, uh, especially for a regular pay-per-view. You know, I think only WrestleMania should be that kind of length because most people, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. I watch this pay-per-view in like three days because I just don't have that kind of time to sit down and watch it and digest it all in one chunk. So, you know, the match wasn't really much of a match, really nothing to critique there, more of an angle. Um, but they did have a rematch on SmackDown, which I'm sure was good. I didn't see it, so there's that. But uh, Shinsuke, new United States champion, and, uh, well, I'm excited to see where that goes because I think that uh, he can do some good things with that. So we'll see what happens. Kevin Owens defeated Braun Strowman in a cage match, although he really didn't win the match per se. He more like got tossed off the top of the cage, crashed into the announce table down below. Um... Yeah, I mean, the spot was pretty crazy. They definitely didn't sell it the same way they did, for example, you know, when Mick Foley got thrown off the cage. I guess because we've seen the whole top of the cage announce table bump since then when Shane McMahon did it at WrestleMania and Hell in a Cell. So we've seen it a few times now where someone takes a tumble off the top of the cage and goes through the announce table. So the the uh, the novelty of it is kind of worn off a little bit, but still a big bump. And uh, a fun ending to the match because obviously the whole time they've kind of uh, built up Braun Strowman as terrorizing Kevin Owens at every turn, flipping the porta potty with him in it and uh, flipping the car and just making life a living hell for Kevin Owens, who is just a really entertaining foil for Braun Strowman. And and you got to give Kevin Owens props because... To me, he can do it all. You know, he can get serious and vicious when he needs to, but he can also play comedy and play the foil really well also. You know, some of those facials and the interactions with Kurt Angle are just priceless. He can he's kind of like Jericho in a sense that he's he's very versatile as a performer and he can kind of do anything that you need him to do. And I think he'll be utilized as a Chris Jericho. I do think he's going to have another run with the world title. He'll be kind of a utility transitional champion kind of guy. I don't know that he'll ever be the main guy. But he, uh, someone like a Kevin Owens is a really useful person to have on the roster because he's always dependable for a good match. He'll get a good reaction from the crowd. And, uh, and he can kind of do anything you need him to do so he's like a swiss army knife in that sense but the match went about eight minutes five seconds uh you know the the ending was was uh was played up pretty well and i guess from here braun Strowman moves on and uh hopefully we'll see him cash in that money in the bank briefcase and win the world title no later than SummerSlam, hopefully because they need to strike while this iron is hot braun Strowman is super super hot with the fans right now I don't think it's even a question that he is the number one babyface in the entire company, at least from a full-time standpoint. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it's time to make him a made man because he's ready. So we'll see if they agree. And uh, I-, I got a good feeling about that, though. I-, I think he'll walk out of SummerSlam with the title. But we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. So the next match... Bludgeon Brothers defeated Team Hell No, Daniel Bryan and Kane. Eight minutes and 20 seconds. uh, Retained the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Story here, 
the uh, the Bludgeon Bros laid out Team Hell No before the match and smashed Kane's ankle in a door, which, uh, yeah, they used the hammer and everything. So uh, at least they kind of played that up a little bit and used that gimmick. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, it starts off as a handicap match. Daniel Bryan's going it alone, uh, fighting the good fight against Harper and Rowan. Kane comes in about halfway through, but the odds are just too high. And Daniel Bryan surprisingly gets. I figured, uh, you know, the uh, the Kane injury angle was a way to, you know, make Kane the guy that would take the fall without making him look weak because he got injured prior to the match. But no, surprisingly, Daniel Bryan is the guy that eats the pin in this particular case. And uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people have been kind of complaining about the way that they've used Daniel Bryan since he came back from injury. You know, saying that he should either be in a feud with The Miz or be in the world title picture. But, you know, it's kind of a complicated situation with him because I think that they don't want to push pull the trigger too quickly on Daniel Bryan in the main event picture because they've been bitten in the past with, uh, with injuries. Obviously, the injury in 2014 and 2015, both times he was a champion and had to be vacated of the title. And obviously, we don't want to go that route again. They want to make sure that he is uh, 100% before they make that kind of move. He did sign another deal with WWE, so he'll be continuing on. He won't be at All In or New Japan or anywhere else. WWE will continue to be his home, and uh, which, I mean, is understandable. You know, I mean, the guy's got a family now, and I'm sure that he can make plenty of money on the indies, but... He's, I'm sure he's making great money in WWE as well, and uh, the merch money's probably not hurting either. So, you know, he's good for him. And I think that there's a lot of exciting matches down the road for him in singles competition. So I think this was a good way to use him on a pay-per-view without uh, hurting him too bad and, uh, you know, giving the Bludgeon Brothers something to uh, have a feather in their cap because they've been getting built up a lot. And good for them because, uh, you know, Harper kind of floundered in a singles role. And Rowan, I don't think, has the tools as a single. But as a team, man, they're something else. And, uh, you know, they've been really been getting a strong treatment. It'll be interesting to see who can eventually take them down and win those belts back. Because I don't see anybody, you know, out there at the moment that can do it. But it might end up being a multi-tag situation or something along those lines so up next is probably the match of the night for me Bobby Lashley defeating Roman Reigns and that match went about 15 minutes 1450 to be precise and uh, Lashley won with a single spear which I think was a surprise for a lot of us Um, the match was good they kind of started off slow and uh, worked their way up to a hot finish and uh, had some pretty good spots in there like uh, Roman going over the the announce table with the belly to belly and uh, yeah man they just a good hard hitting match Um, you know obviously SummerSlam both of these guys are your two top choices for uh, who's going to be the opponent for Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam and probably it'll be both of them but 
you know, Lashley gets a clean win here, and I'm I'm glad for that because you know the story that they've been building up kind of going into this match, and they continued it in this match. If you were paying attention, is that Roman Reigns is getting a little big for his britches and getting kind of cocky and overconfident in himself, and it's costing him. Uh, you know, between the tag team match that happened a few weeks back with the revival, and uh, you know. And also here tonight, uh, you know, Roman Reigns kind of getting in his own way a little bit, maybe getting a little too overconfident in himself. At least that's the story that they're painting in the match. Kind of getting a little heelish, you could even say. He kind of, you know, laid in some of those shots in the steel steps with Lashley. And, uh, you know, to me, Lashley, this was a must-win match for him. So I'm glad he did end up getting the win here. Uh, you know, they've been kind of, kind of not doing the best job of building him to the level that they need to for him to take on Brock you know the whole snafu with his sisters and trying to give him personality man the thing about Lashley is he's not really a talker you know he you look at him and he's got the he's chiseled out of stone he's a mountain of a man but he um and he, he can get it done in the ring too but he's just not really that's not his strength you know so either give him a mouthpiece or Make him somebody that doesn't really do a lot of talking, kind of along the same lines that people said about Roman Reigns, um, you know, which is an interesting parallel. But, you know, they went out there and they had a really good match, I thought. And uh, I'm glad Lashley did get the victory here. You know, it would be great. I would love to see him. Man, I don't know. I'd love to see him go one on one with Brock at SummerSlam. I just don't know if he's there yet i can understand why they might think they need to include roman reigns in that match because i don't think anybody wants to see roman and brock again and i don't know that lashley and brock is enough of a marquee match yet because lashley's only been back with the company for a few months and you know he's still working his way up but lashley reigns and brock in a triple threat makes the most sense not only because it's got the box office appeal but it also makes sense because you can have Lashley and Reigns double-team Brock and uh, weaken him. And then even if Brock does retain in that match, then regardless of who wins at that point, it would only make sense for Braun Strowman to come out with that briefcase and cash it in and walk out world champion, who I think most would agree is the, the guy that they need to put the rocket pack on and blast off going forward so I think regardless of who wins that match you know Braun Strowman has got to be the guy coming out of SummerSlam or at least that's what conventional wisdom would have you believe so that's just one guy's opinion okay so Alexa Bliss defeats Nia Jax you got Mickey James in Alexa's corner and Natalia in Nia Jax's corner Ronda Rousey in the front row this match goes down in about 7 minutes and 30 seconds. And, uh, you know, it was advertised as an extreme rules match, and I guess it was. But this, again, kind of like the Nakamura thing, this was really less of a match and more of an angle to set up Alexa and Ronda at SummerSlam. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, there was there was a few decent spots. The whole thing where Nia Jax press-slammed Alexa into the garbage can, that was kind of cool. And they whacked each other a few times with some kendo sticks. But, I mean, most of this time that they spent in the match was 
Alexa and Mickey double teaming Natalia and then Rhonda kind of jumping over the barricade and getting physically involved and uh well you know in the end the heels are standing tall Alexa DDTs Nia on the chair and retains the belt and uh and they are able to you know get the upper hand on the baby faces and walk out with the championship still in tow but you know, Alexa's days are numbered. Obviously, she and Ronda are going to go one-on-one at SummerSlam, and they've already kind of delayed the Ronda Rousey Women's Championship run already with the whole Money in the Bank thing. But I think that Alexa Bliss is a good opponent for Ronda right now because, you know, she's someone that obviously, kind of like Stephanie, you know, that in a clean, fair one-on-one fight, Ronda could convincingly just annihilate but she always finds a way to be the KG champion and uh, get the upper hand through nefarious means. So, you know, I think they're good natural opponents for each other. And I really like the way that they've been booking Ronda because she's been a full-timer. She's been on most shows, but she doesn't wrestle very often. And when she does, it's, it's a pretty big deal. However, she does get physical with a lot of the girls on a regular basis so she's got the you know she's there every week it's not Brock Lesnar syndrome but she is uh you know they're keeping her she's a special attraction as Bruce Pritchard would say so that's uh that's been done fairly well in my opinion and uh you know WWE doesn't always do the best job of booking their baby faces or really just you know booking people in general but kudos to them because I really think they've been handling Ronda with uh with the right touch and making her still seem like a big deal which she is i mean with the kind of money that they're allegedly paying her you know she uh she's not just another one of the girls so which by the way while we're talking about ronda uh i did read that kane velasquez was at the performance center training to be a pro wrestler and that he uh he actually was there at Extreme Rules with Ronda and her husband. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much of this is the Ronda Rousey effect. I, you have to imagine it's a lot, though. But it'll be interesting to see how many other uh, MMA fighters from UFC uh, decide to have a second career in, in the squared circle and, and look to train. Because you know that Triple H has been really on that initiative of bringing in outside athletes uh, into the wrestling game. And... Well, I mean, it seems like a, a natural transition, so I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to shake out for WWE because, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of MMA fighters that do, that are wrestling fans and, uh, you know, are looking for something to do after their their time in the octagon is over with, so there could be a potential for a lot of crossover action. I know at one time, uh, Rampage was another guy that was you know, considering a run in in, uh, in TNA, but uh, obviously that didn't pan out. But nevertheless, uh, so yeah, Ronda and Alexa at SummerSlam all but locked in, and I think that Ronda will definitely capture her first women's championship uh, come that day. So we'll see if I end up being right about that. Next up, AJ Styles uh, defeated Rusev in 15 minutes 35 seconds in a singles match for WWE Championship. Uh, also a contender for match of the night. You know, there's 
probably three matches. They they were all pretty good. Um, but in this match, uh, I think a lot, I think I was surprised that this match didn't go on last because I mean it's the WWE Championship. I know that it's kind of played second fiddle to the Universal Title, but you know in a in a card where there is no Universal Title match, you would think surely the WWE Title would go on last, but that would not be the case here. Not that I'm complaining. I mean, it was a good match. I'm glad Rusev finally got his first ever televised shot at the WWE Championship. They had a good match. And, uh, you know, they told a pretty good story there where AJ was working the, the left leg of Rusev throughout the entire match. Rusev working the power game, really kind of punishing AJ's core with the suplexes and just, uh, you know, pulling out all the stops to try to win his first ever WWE championship. The the crowd was hot for both guys. And I really think a lot of people feel that Rusev should be a babyface at this point. But um regardless of what they do with him, you know, he had a good showing. AJ sold like a madman for him. And I really liked the story they were telling where you know, every time Rusev would kind of get the upper hand and seem like he was in a position to finish the match, that left leg would just continue to to slow him down and, and stop his momentum. So it was a believable story that they told. A lot of really good selling in the match. Um, you know, AJ pulling out some of his craziness with all the different variations of the forearm and, you know, the springboard 450s and and, uh, and even Aiden English getting involved in the match, uh, trying to help Rusev, you know, trying to help his guy win it. It was a, it was a solid effort. You know, I feel like there could be more there. They could do more matches. Um, and I think that, you know, you could easily transition Rusev into a, a babyface, you know, type deal. Or maybe, uh, maybe Aiden English, you know, calls him a loser or something like that or... You know, says he can't get the job done, and and uh, and then Rusev goes babyface on him. You know, that'd be a way to do it. Possibly, I'm not a booker, so that's just a that's just the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure there could be better ways out there to to turn him. But as we've been saying for a while now, you know, it seems like you know, on the one hand, it's a, you would think, well, yeah, he should be a face. He's getting these great reactions. He's selling a lot of merchandise. But then on the other hand, it's like, fuck, at least he's in the world title picture here. You almost worry that if they turned him, they wouldn't know what to do with him and it would do more harm than good. So maybe it's better to just leave well enough alone. I don't know, but um, I mean, I'm glad Rusev did get a championship match because he's really reinvented his character and, uh, and he's found a way to, you know, make him give himself longevity with the fans and uh, he's... You know, he deserves to be in a main event situation. So I'm glad that he's on top of the roost and on the SmackDown side of things and uh, getting the opportunities that he is. So, uh, uh, excuse me. So, yeah, that's basically that. Um, so then in the main event, 30-minute Iron Man match for the Intercontinental Championship... Dolph Ziggler defeated Seth Rollins 5-4 in sudden death overtime with the zigzag. And, uh, man, there's a lot to talk about with this match because, uh, 
Well, first of all, I thought it was a bust-ass match. I thought both guys did a really great job. And, uh, you know, there was there was a nice pacing to the thing. They didn't go balls to the wall the entire match. They, uh, you know, they, they picked their spots and... You know, they'd go hard for a little while and then slow it down. And then, and then, uh, and then, of course, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the match, Seth Rollins is up. And, uh, you know, he gets two falls. And then after the third fall, Drew McIntyre runs in and just lays waste to him. Beats the hell out of him. You know, he gets Ziggler disqualified. But the story there is, you know, after being ejected from ringside, that now Ziggler can, you know, gain his ground back. And... You know, he does that, and he gets, you know, he gets tied up, and then, man, the way that they booked him was great, because obviously he got the assist for McIntyre, and they, you know, the babyface has a a legitimate, you know, complaint as to why they lost the match, but at the same time, you know, Ziggler had the endurance, and he kept kicking out after near fall, after near fall, so, you know, he looked great as well, so I thought it was a really good way for them from a booking standpoint of a good way to give both guys something to brag about and come out stronger than they went into the match. I thought they gelled really well. You know, both guys have similar strengths. They're both, you know, they both work a fast-paced style. Uh, They're both obviously endurance guys. They can go, they got a gas tank, and, uh, you know, they really shine in this kind of environment. You know, like a lot of people, I got annoyed with the crowd uh, when they started doing the countdown thing, you know, at first it was kind of cute and the announcers even, uh, acknowledged it, but it really took away from the match as it got deeper into it. You know, the 10, 9, 8 countdown thing, it was just, you know, you can't help but wonder, and I get it, I've been part of, uh, you know, a part of crowds for WrestleMania and things of that nature, and you want to have fun and have a good time and be interactive and that's all well and good but you know when you see people complaining about how guys like Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler are not utilized as well as they should be in your opinion then why the hell are you going to wait until they get a main event spot where they really get to showcase what they can do they get twice as much time as the second longest match on the card and you know you're gonna spend you're gonna use that time to count down a fucking clock like give me a break man this is why we have a problem you know i mean not entirely it's it's a little more complicated than that but a big part of the problem with wrestling today is the fact that you know the fans have a tendency to hijack shows like this and just shit all over the the product and uh i feel bad for both guys because they worked really hard and they had a good match and i feel like if they'd been put in front of a different crowd that wasn't doing that kind of stuff, that you know, it would have added that much more to it had they been into it the entire time. So it is what it is. It can't be undone. But the match itself, I thought was really good. And uh, man, I really, really see big things in Drew McIntyre. Uh, even though he wasn't a technical competitor in this match, you know, I felt like his presence was was felt throughout the entire thing and. This ruthlessness that he brings with him now. This is a totally different Drew McIntyre than the one we had 10 years ago. And uh, I think that, you know, his time spent outside of WWE really added a lot to his repertoire and uh, made him a much better performer. This is a Drew McIntyre that I think a lot of us can see 
as WWE champion. So, um, you know, how long will this pairing last with Dolph Ziggler? Who knows? I think that it's only a matter of time before they break him up and put him on his own. Uh, because, I mean, it's been great for Dolph. It's really kind of revitalized his career. You know, I mean, who would have thought that he'd be main event in a pay-per-view six months ago? But it happened. And uh, I think that a big part of that is this kind of renaissance that he's gone through after being teamed with Drew McIntyre. They're doing good stuff together. We'll see if this thing runs its course. But uh, I think of the two, most people, no one would disagree that Drew McIntyre has the, the biggest upside. So, you know, Seth Rollins, I'd love to see him. I thought he had a great run as Intercontinental Champion. He's another guy that's on fire right now and is uh, really just kicking ass, you know, in this role that he has as a face champion or, you know, now face on the chase. But, um, I mean, look, I'd love to see him in the world title picture, but the world title picture is already kind of crowded and he's definitely, um, you know, he's doing some of his best work in that intercontinental champion role, so... I say let's let this thing ride and see where it goes because he's, um, you know, he's, man, he's just doing some great stuff. So Seth Rollins, uh, you know, losing effort for him on this pay-per-view, but it's just going to have the fans behind him all that much more. So that's basically it as far as Extreme Rules goes. And, uh, you know, overall... It was a good show, you know. There were th- there were three matches that were good to really good. Nothing that I would consider to be great, but uh, and there were a lot. Of, there was a lot of stuff on this car that was just kind of like, eh, okay, you know. I mean, if I had to give this thing an overall rating, I would say pro- I'd give it probably a six to a six and a half. Um, and uh, if I had to recommend one match in particular for match of the night. I'm probably going to stick with uh, with Lashley and Reigns. Um, so, yeah, that's my, my pick for the match of the night there. And uh, that's my thoughts on Extreme Rules. So the next time that WWE is going to be on pay-per-view will be for SummerSlam, which is coming up in about five weeks, I believe. So... We'll look to have another show put out in time for that. We can break that down and give you our thoughts on that. But before we wrap this thing up, I do have a few other things I'd like to cover. And uh, one of those is Impact Wrestling. You know, this is something that I've been bringing up, you know, since we started this show. And, uh, you know, now other news outlets are picking up on it as well. And that is the the, uh, the renaissance that Impact is currently going through since they've had the change in management with uh, Don Callis and Scott Demore taking over. And, uh, you know, they've been running the show, steering the ship for about seven months now, and you've really seen a marked change both from the uh, the creative, you know, the, uh, the, the different broadcasting mediums that they have. They've started a Twitch channel and they've done a lot of co-marketing with other small independent promotions. And they've really kind of created this awesome culture where workers are, are being shared between other companies like Lucha Underground and New Japan and, you know, 
beyond. So it's really cool what they're doing. I think they've got the right mindset. They really know what the the fans of an alternative form of wrestling are out there looking for. And they've kind of rebuilt their own stars. And, uh, you know, a lot of the... Because, I mean, they had a mass exodus. They lost a lot of their talent. The Hardy Boys, EC3, Lashley, uh, Kurt Angle. You know, a lot of their name marquee guys are gone. And they've really just done the right thing, in my opinion. And picked the right people to showcase um, going forward. And, uh, you know, they brought in some really exciting young talent like Sue Young, Brian Cage. You know, obviously you got Pentagon in there. Um, Sammy Callahan, love him or hate him. He's got the world buzzing. And uh, he's brought eyeballs to the product. And, you know, that hard work that they put in is finally starting to pay off because they have announced that Slammiversary 16 in Toronto is sold out. And that's a big deal because, well, I mean, they haven't drawn a crowd the size of the one that's going to be in Toronto in like five years. And, you know, that was obviously a lifetime ago for Impact. And they've changed so much since then. But they're finally kind of on the upswing. And this is a, this is a major feather in their cap. Uh, it's at the Rebel Complex in Toronto. The main room holds like 37 Excuse me. The main room holds like 3,700 people in it. And, uh, you know, that's not a WWE-sized crowd or anything like that. But considering where they've been and how they've struggled to draw houses in the past, to me, this is just a testament to the work that's being done to rebuild the company and the brand and make TNA something or impact something that uh that the fans are buzzing about again they've got a really really stacked card uh it looks like a great show on paper you've got let's see let's run this card through we got austin aries versus moose for the impact world championship um we've got for the x division title matt seidel defending against brian cage sue young versus madison rain for the knockouts championship a 5150 street fight for the tag team titles LAX versus the OGs, which are Homicide and Hernandez. Hair versus Mask, Sammy Callahan versus Pentagon. House of Hardcore Rules, Tommy Dreamer and Eddie Edwards. A four way match, uh, Johnny Impact versus Rich Swan versus Phoenix versus Ishimori. And a knockouts match, Tessa Blanchard versus Allie. So, man, on paper, that is a stacked card. And I know that uh, in the past they've treated Slammiversary as kind of the biggest event of the year. They've definitely built up this show to make it feel that way. They've done a great job doing the weekly builds on the shows. And, uh, well, unfortunately, uh, one of those matches is kind of up in the air right now. Uh, Rich Swan recently got what was believed to be a pretty serious concussion. He was actually... I believe he was doing a shot for MLW, and uh, and he took a pretty nasty head bump. So his status is questionable for the pay-per-view. Um, they may pull him out uh, as far as who they'd replace him with. Man, I don't know. I could see them going with uh, with one of the Lucha guys, like a Drago or an Aerostar. They could always go with Andrew Everett or DJZ 
Or, uh, you know, personally, I'd love to see uh, Desmond Xavier in that spot. But, you know, as much as I'd love to see Rich Swan in there, uh, and it's a shame that he may be injured um, because I feel like that match has the potential to be the show stealer of the night. You know, man, if I was booking, I would throw Desmond in that spot because I think that uh, I think that he would be the best fit as a replacement for Rich. But we'll see what happens there. Um, personally, that hair versus mask match is really intriguing to me. Between Sammy Callahan and Pentagon, I think that uh, man, I'm a fan of what Sammy Callahan is doing right now. I know that uh, a lot of people view him as uh being unsafe or dangerous and i get that you know what he did to eddie was kind of inexcusable in my opinion but they capitalized on it in the best possible way and made a great angle out of it and uh now this feud with pentagon has been built up really well in my opinion and i'm intrigued to see where they go i can't see them unmasking pentagon it's got to be sammy getting his head shaved i would have to think but Stranger things have happened. This is the wrestling world we're talking about. That's probably my most anticipated match of the night. And uh, But they got a lot of potential show stealers on the card. And, uh, well, you know, it's pretty steep. It's $39.99 on the Fight TV app to uh, enjoy Slammiversary Live this coming Sunday. But if you're going to invest 40 bucks in any wrestling promotion right now, and give it to Impact because I feel like they've been working really hard and uh, all that hard work is about to pay off in a big way for them. This is going to be a big show. So Slammiversary this coming Sunday is uh, pretty exciting. And, you know, as somebody who's been a TNA fan since practically the beginning, you know, I've rooted for them and I've shook my head when I've read about some of these piss poor, horrible decisions that have been made by prior management will say um it's really refreshing to finally see somebody who gets it at the wheel and uh you know it might be too late for some people but i say better late than never so long live impact and may they continue to grow and uh the last thing i wanted to cover before wrapping things up is the what's going on with New Japan and Ring of Honor because obviously as New Japan heads into the G1 Climax uh, pretty big time of year for them and we have the big angle that's going down with the Bullet Club Civil War things are uh, finally patched up between Kenny and Cody seemingly but it was actually the Tongans who ended up turning and creating the Bullet Club firing squad splitting off from the Bullet Club and uh, laying waste to the Elite and Coda and everyone else. But, uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, got the wrestling world a buzz. Obviously, some people have said it's been a long time coming, but, you know, uh, independently of all of that, the big announcement that has come out, and even ESPN has been covering this, but Ring of Honor and New Japan are going to be running Madison Square Garden during WrestleMania weekend. And it only makes sense in a way. I think some people never thought it would happen because Madison Square Garden has been synonymous with WWE for so long. But personally, having been in there for Supercard last year, 
man, they drew a big house. They drew 65, 7,000 people. And uh, it was a packed house. And I think that, uh, you know, they're going to just continue to grow this thing. And it makes sense. Hey, you know what? Swing for the fences after the success that they've had with All In, selling out the Sears Center and half an hour you know why not go big or go home uh allegedly wwe has kind of tried to block this show and prevent it from happening but it looks like it's on and uh you know i think the combined forces of new japan and ring of honor along with the right card could potentially see you know look i don't want to be wrong again because i was one of those people i have to admit that said that uh I thought it would be a stretch for All In to sell out, and they did in 30 minutes. So, could they sell out Madison Square Garden? It could happen, but, I mean, that's like 18.5. It's a big arena, so it'll take some doing to make it happen. But, I could see it, you know. Like I say, with the right card and the right people, uh, you know, you create a big enough attraction and... They're going to come and put butts in the seats, especially, uh, you know, if the tickets are priced the right way, as we see with All In. But, um, you know, it's exciting news regardless because it's really just a sign of the times in wrestling and the fact that nowadays these third-party outside uh, promotions are finally getting the opportunities to to play on the big stages. So All In was definitely an eye-opener for a lot of people and uh, I think that it's going to show a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of these these arenas out there that, uh, you know, there's there's more to the game than just WWE now. So, you know, obviously a big props goes to Cody and the Bucks because I feel like that announcement was kind of the precursor to this one. And uh, I think we'll see even bigger stuff going forward it feels like the wrestling uh you know the the wrestling industry is on the the precipice of another major boom like we saw in the 80s and the 90s so we're definitely due for one and uh i don't know it just feels like uh you know some of these outside promotions are starting to see that wwe is stagnated a little bit from a creative standpoint and they have a chance to provide a legit alternative and give the adult fans that are disenfranchised with WWE the alternative that they're looking for. So, hey, man, everybody wins. It's WWE's not hurting for money. Hell, they just made a billion dollars off of SmackDown. They're getting ready to make a gajillion dollars off of this this stadium show in Australia. Uh, Vince McMahon's going to relaunch the XFL. So money is not an issue for them, but there's more money to be made for New Japan and Ring of Honor and whoever else is there for the taking. So, uh, man, running a deal, running a sh- another company, running a show in Madison Square Garden has that ever even happened? I'm I'm not sure that it has. I don't think WCW ever ran the Garden. Uh, I'd be surprised to hear that they did, but uh, I don't think that I don't think that happened. But nevertheless, uh, it is going to happen. WrestleMania weekend of next year. Supercard, Madison Square Garden. The date on that is April 6th, and I believe that uh, tickets are not on sale yet, but that'll be August 8th and uh, August 10th for the general public. So, anyway, that's really the major talk in the, the wrestling world. And, uh, man, we've already gone just about an hour, and uh, 
yeah, been a lot of big happenings. It's been really good to get back on this and talk about our love of pro wrestling uh, once again. I guess I'm going to give you a recommended match of the week uh, before we sign off. And since we uh, had a main event featuring Dolph Ziggler, which feels kind of random in 2018, my uh, recommended match of the week for you. This week is going to be another Dolph Ziggler match from 2016 uh, when he kind of had his last career renaissance, in my opinion, which is when he feuded with The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship right after the brand split. And uh, this match would be the one where he put his career on the line at no mercy. Um, it kind of felt like the uh, the culmination of, you know, just weeks of being screwed and and uh, being that underdog baby face that the fans were really getting behind. And, you know, I think some people were legitimately thinking he might lose this match because, you know, he was obviously disgruntled and people were thinking he was going to try to quit and walk out of his contract or whatever the case was. So it did have that air of believability going into it. But uh, he and Miz had probably the best match of their entire series. Uh, some really exciting false finishes. And, uh, you know, just really, really culminated in the right way uh, when, with Dolph getting the big win. And, uh, you know, some people would say that that match probably should have main evented that night. Of course, it didn't. But, um, you know, that was a pretty big career moment for, for him. And the crowd was squarely in his corner when he won the Intercontinental Championship that night. So go back and check it out if you haven't seen it in a while. No Mercy 2016, The Miz versus Dolph Ziggler, the Spirit Squad even got involved. Like who the hell would have would have thought that in, in 2016, but it happened. Um, so yeah, go check it out on the WWE Network. That's my recommended match of the week. And that's going to do it for me this evening. I am Dane Campbell. Hope you've been enjoying my solo cast. Hope to be back soon with Damian Black. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter. We are at RevengePod. Facebook.com slash RevengePod. I think we are at RevengePod there. If not, just search Revenge of the Marks. And uh, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We are at Revenge of the Marks there also. Alright, well, we will be back in time for SummerSlam, if not sooner, with a new episode of Revenge of the Marks. Hope you have enjoyed. I am Dane Campbell, signing off. And remember, always respect the mark. <laughs>